This is week four in Assembly Required. So far in this series, we've talked about who assembles. And in that first week, we talked about how, how, how we are, there's multiple pictures of what the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's, it's the holy temple. It is an outpost for the kingdom. I want you to hold on to that idea of an outpost because we're going to come back to it uh, in, in a few weeks. Uh, in the week two, we, we, we switched the question, sort of the whiny question, do we have to assemble, do we have to go to church, into a statement of expectation about wanting to be with our faith family every time there's an opportunity for us to assemble and worship together. Uh, And then last week, we looked at what God does when he assembles his people. God does some pretty amazing things. All of them, all right, so that I can remember them, started with E. He is exalted, we are edified, and the world sees and the world is evangelized when the church assembles. And today, in this final message, we want to look at what do we do when we assemble? How do we all participate when the church gathers. If you have your Bible, uh, for the final time in this series, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 and and read some together. We're going to read what we have been reading, and then we're going to jump to the end of the chapter and pull in a few more verses. But Hebrews chapter 10, let's start reading together uh, in verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then the author of Hebrews continues to share some amazing truths and encouragement in the coming verses. But let's skip down to verse number 37 and wrap up here. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to lift our voices together in praise to you. Thank you for the opportunity to read from your word. God, we thank you in advance for the opportunity that we have to surround the communion table and celebrate and proclaim Jesus' death uh, as we assemble and share the Lord's Supper. And God, we thank you uh, over and over again for these words from the Hebrew writer that encourages us not to neglect meeting together, but to be here to encourage one another and to exalt you. God, as we wrap up this, this series, God, I pray that, that our perspective on the assembly has changed, our, our attitude toward the assembly has changed, our preparation to come into the assembly has changed, and God, today I pray that our participation in the assembly might be changed. Father God, we love you for all that you are, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, Hebrews 
uh, gives us many different things that happen when God assembles his church. And we'll get to those in just a minute. I like things simple so that I can remember them. Ligon Duncan, in an article that he wrote for a book called Give Praise to God, he, he had five or six ways uh, in which, five ways in which he, we participate in the word when we assemble. Simply, it is we read the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, we sing the word, and we see the word. Now, the reading of the word is obvious. The, the praying of the word is, is obvious, I hope. The, this, the preaching of the word, I pray that you never doubt that the messages that you hear here come from God's word. The singing of the word, our, our praise team goes to great lengths to make sure that what we sing uh, corresponds with what we read in scripture. But then that see the word, I, he's talking, Duncan is talking there about uh, when we share the Lord's Supper together, when we witness somebody put on Christ in baptism, we see the word lived out in front of us. Well, I'd like to, from Hebrews chapter 10 and a few other places, I just throw out to you for consideration uh, several things that happen when, that we participate in when we assemble together. I have nine. We're going to read some scripture, but I think that if you pay attention to those scriptures when they're read, that you'll be able to add a few more uh, to that list. So the first thing that I want us to consider, uh, that how we participate, how we all participate uh, in the assembly is that we participate by the fact that we assemble. We have to make a choice to be here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't give up meeting together as some have done. We choose to be here. We choose to assemble, to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship our Savior, to edify one another. So the first thing that we do as, as participatory people is we assemble. Hebrews chapter 10 uh, and verse 25. If you go up just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 10, you know, something that we've read multiple times is we participate in the assembly because we encourage. Maybe it's just a smile that comes across your face. Maybe it's a hug or a handshake that you receive as you walk through the door. Maybe it's a reminder of something that you have been praying for uh, when you come in. But we are encouraged um, and we encourage when we are here together. I know that after a, a, a long week of, of dealing with things, and I know from you that after a long week of dealing with things, it's just encouraging sometimes to see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't even have to say a word. It's simply by assembling together that we can encourage. But maybe the Spirit leads you to say something, to, to offer a handshake or a hug. We encourage one another. Not just something that happens from the stage or Gary Sampson or, or, or Patsy as you walk in the door, but we all participate in encouraging one another by being here. And number three, Ephesians chapter 5 and, and 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 give us uh, another option, another thing that we do. We sing. We are led in singing by a praise team or by a worship leader, uh, a piano player, an organ player, um, but we all sing in participation in the assembled church. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, uh, Paul says that addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Paul also says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, etching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We sing. We all participate in that. And we remember that when we sing, we may encourage those around us, but ultimately, our audience is one. And Paul talks about that we make that melody in our heart for him. Our, our actions, the quality of our voice may encourage those around us, but ultimately, it's about exalting him. And we all can do that. Number, number four, we pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes to a church that he loved, reminding them to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we get together, we pray. Sometimes our prayer is, is just <laughs> lifting God up for who he is. Thank you for all that you are. Sometimes we thank him for things that he has done in our lives. Sometimes we have specific requests that you would please be with our mission partners as they are overseas. Please be with these members of our family who are struggling with the loss of a loved one or walking through a dark valley, but we pray together. And I hope that as Scott or Mark or Tony or whoever is leading up here, that you are praying as well that you are just laying whatever is on your heart at the foot of the cross so that Jesus can pick it up and take it. In the first service, we're more, more intentional about this is when we pray together, there'll be just that, that, that slight pause from whoever's leading the prayer uh, at, at the front so that everybody can then bear their hearts before their Savior. So I pray, I hope, and I trust that as you are being led in prayer, you too are praying your prayers of thanksgiving, of need to our Heavenly Father. We all participate in the worship assembly. N number five, we confess. Sometimes, as we did last week, this is corporately as we pray a prayer of confession. When we come and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we should be looking inwardly at our hearts and confessing any sin that we have so that we do not take that, 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 that sacred supper in an unworthy manner. We should be confessing corporately. Maybe you are confessing privately because your sin is between you and God. Maybe you need to seek somebody out after service that you have wronged, that you have had, uh, had an encounter with. 
that you need to apologize to and you need to confess to them. Maybe it's you come forward at the close of a service or grab a deacon or a a pastor after service and say, hey, I need to talk with you about something. But we confess. We confess corporately, sometimes in prayer, sometimes in the song that we sing, and we confess individually. Because we, we believe what James wrote in James 5, 16, when he said, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We confess. The sixth thing is we test. Now, this has a different maybe connotation than, than what, what comes to our mind when we first hear it, but, but we test You test, I test, what we are hearing from the pulpit. Please, please, please never get in the habit of coming in here and just accepting what Tony Foreman, Scott McClure, Cecily Thompson, Mark McCain, anybody who stands before you and just accept what they say dollar for dollar. Please be like the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, he says, Now these Jews, he's talking about the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I pray and I believe with all my heart that the leaders of this church will never get in front of you and intentionally twist scripture to fit our agendas, if we have an agenda. But it's your job to hold us accountable in that. It's your job to make sure that you are spending time in the one sheet or going back and looking over the scriptures that we shared. Or maybe maybe we we were guilty of pulling a scripture sort of out of air and using it to, to, uh, to fit our sermon notes or our illustration. It's your responsibility to test, to search to make sure that this is always in every area of our teaching and preaching, of our singing and praying, that we are people true to the word. Hey, John backs that up a little bit more in 1 John chapter 4. He's speaking more about testing the spirits than he is uh, about the, 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 the speaking. But if we are approaching preaching right We are submitting to the Spirit in what we say, what we read, what topic we even discuss as a faith family. 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses say, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. And for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We all participate in the assembly by testing, by searching Scripture to make sure that what comes out of the mouth of men matches what came out of the mouth of God. The next thing we do is we give. 
The pandemic has changed how we give. It's been uh, going on three years now since we have passed a plate uh, in, this, in this facility or, or in the first service. But we give online by check as we walk by the door, uh, by the baskets at the door, or the, the, the boxes at the door, but we give. And that's not something that we just show up and that we pull out our wallet and like, mm, I don't have much this week. No, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we should be intentional about how we give. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We participate and we pre prepare to participate in the worship assembly by giving or purposing what we are going to give. And number eight, we commune. And I'm not going to spend much time on this because in just a second, one of our deacons is going to lead us before the communion table where we will celebrate and where we will commune together. And that is something where we should all, as believers in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that meal is for you. It's a meal of remembrance. It's a meal of proclamation. But all of us celebrate in the meal of communion. And, and, and the final thing that I want us to look at from Scripture specifically is that when we worship together, when we assemble together, we all surrender. If you go back to the lengthy series that we had to start this year from Matthew chapter 16, we see that this surrender is a, is a one-time thing. When we confess that Jesus Christ is the, the, uh, of the God, the living one. But it also, if we keep reading down through Matthew chapter 16, we see it's a surrender that we do daily. Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, he must pick up his cross and come after me. It's a one-time surrender to Jesus as our Savior, but it's a daily surrender to the same. One saves us, the other keeps us in line. Right, we surrender. Now, that was nine. But if you were paying attention right, to the scriptures that were referenced, the scriptures that are read, you could have picked up on several others. One that we didn't talk about specifically in the message, but we mentioned earlier, was, was bap baptism. At some point in time, every believer will participate in the assembly by going into the waters of baptism to, 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 to show to the world that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. The examples that we have in the New Testament scriptures show that a believer is a baptized believer. There is no such thing as an unbaptized believer in the New Testament. What happens? Somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they immediately start looking for water in which they can put Christ on in baptism. And I hope that over the course of time that I have been here, and, and Glenn Perry uh, has been here, and, and Scott has been here, that, that baptism is not just something we do to mimic something that's happened in our heart. It's much more precious than that. It is another form of surrender. It's a form of obedience to the one that we claim as our Savior. Uh, and as soon as, in Scripture, as soon as somebody or some bodies put their faith in Jesus by believing in him, they start looking for water deep enough to be baptized in. Look throughout Acts, look throughout the, the epistles, and that's the example that we see.
As we read uh, those verses, we also give thanks. Uh, we, read the, we read that we submit to one another when we assemble. We uh, submit to biblical authority together when we assemble. We rejoice. We admonish. Uh, admonish is a little bit different than encourage. Admonish means we warn. We counsel uh, one another when we assemble together. We lay our troubles at the feet of Jesus Christ. When we give, we sacrifice. When we share the communion together, we proclaim Jesus' death. And we hold each other accountable when we assemble. We do all these things. We all participate. Hopefully, as you have an opportunity to sit at the feet of the pastors of this church and the deacons and the shepherds of this church that you realize that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not something that you can just watch from afar. And the assembly is not an event in which you merely come as a fan with minimal interest and involvement. No. Christianity involves every ounce of energy and time and effort that you have. And when we come together, the assembly is an active event where all who are present participate in the worship and the praise of our Savior, in the encouraging of those in the aisle, in the pew, in the seat next to you. And it's an opportunity for us to show the world who we are if you have been purchased and freed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are an active participant in his church that is assembled, that is scattered, and that assembles again the next time. This week as we leave, I want you to continue to commit to Hebrews chapter 10 and memorizing 10, 23, 24, and 25. Let it encourage you and your walk as you anticipate being together the next time with your faith family. I, I, want, you to, uh, I, I want to ask you, how can you recommit to worshiping with the assembled church? Has assembling become an afterthought for you? Um, you do you attend when there's no other options on your schedule? Maybe church, maybe individual Christian, brother or sister, you need to reprioritize your calendar so Sunday morning is protected for the assembly of God's people. There's a Pew study, a Pew, P-E-W, not, not any other type of Pew that we might, we might utter. But the Pew Foundation did a study a few years back, and it showed that those who identify themselves as Christians... Not U.S. people, right? Not Americans, but people who identify themselves as Christians living in this country. 44% of those who identify themselves as Christians attend church weekly. Those who attend one or two times a month, 18%. Those who seldom, or just a few times a year, 20%. Those who seldom or never attend, 18%. So if you do the math, 56% of those who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior attend services less than two times a month. Now, I want you to just take that statistic and lay it over on top of your job. Imagine showing up to your job half the time. 
wouldn't fly real long, would it? Imagine applying that same statistic to your, to your job. Uh, how can you recommit to worshiping with the assembled church? And then, how can you recommit to worshiping 24-7? I have a feeling that as you participate, as you anticipate more in the assembly, that your worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is going to be a little bit more powerful. As you engage, as you participate in the praying, in the singing, in the encouraging, in the confessing, in the giving, in the communion, communing, in all of those things, it's going to stick with you longer. It's like eating oatmeal for breakfast. It's going to stick to your ribs a little bit longer. And the last question that I want to ask you today is, is your worship personal? By that I mean, do you truly know the one you are singing to, you are praying to, you are giving to, do you have, is your worship personal? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Is he your king? Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Is your worship personal? If it's not, if you have not surrendered to that king, I pray that today is the day that you fall on your knees physically uh, or if you need to, figuratively as you, as you surrender to the one who did everything for you. How can you recommit to worshiping together with the assembled church? How can you recommit to worshiping outside of these walls so people see the Jesus that you say that you love? And is your worship personal? If it's not personal today, I pray that it is. I pray that today is the day of your salvation. Uh, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, I pray that you recommit, that you repurpose your time, that you refocus your energy and your efforts so that you are truly worshiping the one that you claim means everything to you.